through the month of December, of course, we've been in a sermon series through some of the Psalms, and this morning as our final Psalm for that series, which is Psalm 98, you can find it in your worship folder on page 8. Uh, next week, we'll be, of course, jumping back into First Peter. For now, we want to look and consider what the Lord has to say for us here in the book of Psalms. So Psalm 98, hear the word of the Lord. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Bring forth forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar in awe that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word now. We ask that you would speak to us and reveal to us once again the person of Christ and how we might know him and worship him for your glory and your name's sake. Let your spirit attend now to the proclamation of your word so that it might bear fruit in the lives of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So no doubt we've heard many holiday greetings this time of year, even going back into the past month. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Thanksgiving. When it's someone's birthday, we hear happy birthday. When it's an anniversary, happy anniversary. Pass a difficult exam, receive a promotion, learn of a new baby being born, and you hear congratulations. And all of these are expressions of joyful celebration. They're celebrating a holiday, a special occasion, a new life, a goal met, uh, an achievement, or a victory of some sort. And so we ask the question then, why do we celebrate these things? Why do we celebrate But we do it because we are looking for some measure of joy that these things bring in our lives in an otherwise dark world. Celebration is a a sort of escape, a way of looking past the ugliness, the hurt, and the pain, and the evil of a sin-cursed world. And we keep celebrating these things because fundamentally, As humans, we want things to be better in this world. We crave those moments of joy because often they seem so fleeting and so infrequent. But what if there was an everlasting joy? What if there was a joy that was unfading, a joy that continued to shine even in the face of life's darkest moments? 
And such a joy does not seem natural. And that's because it isn't. It is a supernatural joy. It is the joy that only God can create in the hearts and lives of those who come to Him. And it is that very joy we see in Psalm 98. This psalm, Psalm 98, was the inspiration behind Isaac Watts' famous hymn, Joy to the World, which actually wasn't a Christmas song originally. It was just a hymn praising God for the joy that He puts into the lives of his people. This psalm is a victory song. It's a celebration of God as a great warrior king who has won a victory for his people. Now that's a way of thinking about God that many people don't usually imagine. We usually think of God as a loving, caring father who brings peace and comfort and joy to weary hearts. And that is true. He is all of that. But he achieves all of that because he is also a warrior. He fights. He wins a victory over our greatest enemies so that we can know that joy. And we need him to be our warrior, our champion, because The curse of sin affects all people, all things, and all nations. In fact, we see that implied in this psalm. This psalm, of course, is largely one of joy, but this dark reality is there. The psalmist speaks of God working his salvation and making it known in the sight of, he says, the entire world. He speaks of all the ends of the earth, having seen the salvation of God. And so there's this, this language of universality. Now, he's not speaking, of course, of a, a universal salvation, meaning that every person is, is saved and made part of God's people, regardless of their faith or relationship to him. But he's hinting at a problem in the world. Why reveal his saving power before the whole world? Well, it's because the whole world needs his salvation. You see, the curse of this world because of sin is is universal. Every person born into this world is born with this guilt state of sin already upon their being. And the results of that sin affect everything, not just everyone. In Genesis 3, when, when God pronounces that curse to Adam... As a result of their sin, he says this to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread to return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so suffering and pain and decay and death, they are all part of this curse that has fallen upon the world. It affects not just people, but the very fabric and the function of the universe itself. And consider every great oak tree that you see eventually withers and dies. Majestic animals from powerful elephants to microscopic organisms suffer from the ongoing corruption that exists in this world. 
The very second law of thermodynamics proves that there's a a natural tendency of, of any isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state. If things are left to themselves, they will deteriorate. They will break down. Even the beautiful structures that we build on this earth as humans, these, these buildings that we build, they require constant maintenance. If you own a house, you know this. There's always a list of things to do. Because if you don't maintain it, it will fall into ruin. And the fury of nature, it bears down upon us and shows us how helpless we really are before its power, as we saw even a few weeks ago with the Quad Strait Tornado. Also, our very physical bodies, from the moment we are born, preach the truth to us that we are living in a corrupt, sin-cursed world. We are subject to so many things that can hurt and harm us, from cancer to heart disease and viruses and bacterial infections and accidents and injuries, they tell us that indeed we are fragile creatures. As the scriptures tell us, life is but a vapor. It comes and it fades so quickly. And anyone who has lived some time on this earth will tell you, yes, that is true. The years pass by so quickly. Uh, Even our genetic codes are flawed to the point that we see some people born with great disabilities into this world, sometimes fatal. Not only are we fragile and weak, though, but we feel the effects of this curse in our own sinfulness because we can be so cruel and so evil. As Jeremiah the prophet spoke, the heart is desperately wicked apart from the grace of God. And from early in human history, we have found ways to fight and to struggle for power. We take advantage of others. We look to our own good rather than the good of our neighbors. And hate often seems so strong, sometimes it masquerades itself under the mantra of love. The pursuit of pleasure is the end goal for many people. And conceit and arrogance and slander and ungratefulness and bitterness, they are found in every human heart, in every corner of this world. No culture, no nation, no corner of this world has been left untouched by our sinfulness. And so this whole world is groaning, the Scriptures say, under the weight of the curse upon it, crying out for final redemption. And that is what Paul speaks of in Romans 8, as he says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And so this curse is universal. It affects everything, everyone, everywhere. Sin has left a dark mark that exists upon all. And no wonder then that we long for those moments of joy that are often so fleeting. See, though, unless people of this earth are ruled by 
righteousness, God's righteousness and God's equity of which the psalmist speaks, there will be no lasting joy. There will be no rejoicing. And humanity has tried again and again to fight back against this curse only to find they are powerless. They do not have the strength within themselves. And we turn to things like science and medicine and governments and policies and philosophies and ideals only to be dismayed and disappointed when they fail us. We need someone who can once for all go to war for us against that curse and defeat it. And we have someone who is God himself. You see, the psalm shows us that God is our warrior king who overcomes the curse. Again, Psalm 98 is a victory song. A song of triumph, recounting the Lord as king over all the earth, bringing a great victory for his people. And when victories are won, people sing about it. There's a a vast repertoire of marches and ballads and anthems celebrating triumph. We have songs like our own national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner, declaring that amidst the, the rocket's red glare, the nation had not fallen in defeat. And we have songs like the stirring lines of Hail to the Victors, celebrating when the Wolverines win a touchdown. Here, the psalmist called God people to sing a new song, a new song of Victory. And that's actually an expression we see throughout the book of Psalms. We see it in Psalm 33, 3, sing to him a new song. Psalm 43, he put a new song in my mouth. Psalm 96, 1, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Psalm 144, I will sing a new song to you, O God. And Psalm 149, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the godly. So we're called as God's people to worship him with a new song. Well, what is this new song, this new victory song? And first of all, it isn't replacing an old song at all. Instead, it is a fresh telling of new mercy. It is celebrating grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing, victory upon victory. In other words, it's a new song about an old theme that has been sung before. And what is that theme? It is God's graciousness, His gracious salvation to His people. In verse 1, the psalmist speaks of, of God having done marvelous things. That is to say, many redemptive acts throughout His redemptive history that have brought victory to His people to bring them salvation. And when we look at God's work of salvation, we understand those marvelous things he has done from calling Abraham from his pagan land to calling Moses to lead Israel to the land of promise, from from giving them his law on the mountain in a temple in which to worship him, from the incarnation to the cross, from the resurrection to the very ascension of Christ, Promise upon promise, fulfillment upon fulfillment, God's great banner of redemption unfurled across the years of time. Those are his marvelous things, the victories that he has won to bring this salvation to his people. 
And so all history declares the Lord's power, or as the psalmist says here, his right hand and his holy arm. A right hand was considered to be a symbol of authority, and a right arm, one of strength and might. And again, we get this military warrior image being portrayed here as God goes to war for his people. His saving acts are declarations of war against his people and his people's enemy, or against his people's enemies. In fact, Christmas itself, the incarnation of Christ, God becoming Emmanuel, dwelling with us, it was an act of war against sin and death and Satan against the curse. It was an invasion into the kingdom of darkness by the kingdom of God so that he might lead his people free from the bondage of sin forever. And it was a very visible act of open war. This was no covert mission. The psalmist says that it was done in the sight of the nations. God has revealed his righteousness to all the ends of the earth. They have all seen his salvation. You see, if you are God's child by faith alone in Christ alone, your salvation, the work of God's grace in your life, it preaches the gospel to the world. It preaches to the world that God has come to save a people from their sins. It tells them that sin and death and Satan are defeated foes. It declares to the nations that they do not need to live in fear but can know an everlasting hope in the person of Jesus Christ. It declares that guilt can be removed forever by the grace and mercy of God. It proclaims loudly that God has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness as the psalmist writes of in verse 3. He was true to his covenant promises, faithful to his word, and your redemption, your salvation, the fact that you are here Worshiping Christ as your king, you are part of God's people. That is a testimony of God's great victory. If you are one of God's children by faith in Christ, you are a monument of his mercy and a trophy of his redeeming grace. Put on display for the whole world to see what God has done. He has won a victory for his people. But in doing that, he has won a prize that he so rightly deserves. That is a people for his name, an inheritance of the nations who worship him for all eternity. You see, God, as our warrior king, defeats our enemies so that we might celebrate his present reign. The psalmist in verses four through six breaks into a jubilant call to worship. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. We worship God because he is our warrior king who has won a great victory for us. And we are directed here now and how we are to worship him. This is a call then for all the earth to praise the Lord for his saving might and gracious power. 
And we see the way we are to do this, the how, is we are to use all means throughout all the earth to praise God. Back when God gave Abraham that covenant promise to bless him and multiply his people as the stars of the sky and make him a great nation, he included in that promise that through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Now that promise, like all God's covenant promises, is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. That is why Paul tells us in Galatians 3 and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. So God's, the, the, or Abraham's spiritual offspring are those who are of faith in Christ. And Paul says that in the very same chapter in the, of Galatians, he says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And this call then is to all the earth to make a joyful noise because of that. To make a joyful noise to the Lord in worship is an anticipation of this gospel reality that God would have a people from every nation. It's an invitation to come and to know and to rest and find real joy flowing from God who has defeated all our enemies as we fall before Him in faith and repentance. You see, a call to worship to all the earth is a call to come and know and explore all that God is in all that He has done. It is a call to all who are thirsty for righteousness to drink deeply of the righteousness that is not theirs, but it is Christ with which He clothes them. It is a call to be satisfied in the grace of the gospel which forgives us of every sin as expressed by the prophet Isaiah who said, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's a call to come to the blessing that is yours in God through Jesus. And all who are weak, all who are suffering, all who have been hoping and waiting for better days, for lasting joy, they are called to come And make a joyful noise to the Lord. And we are to do that, as the psalmist expresses, with every means. To use all our heart and soul and mind to worship Him. He speaks of a joyful noise and and breaking forth into joyous song. A a joyful noise is is literally a shout of triumph, a a cheer, a, a victory cry. It's like the noise you hear in the big house when Michigan scores a touchdown. Or if you've been to a, a, a World Cup game and you hear uh, the crowd cheer when a goal is scored. If you've ever been to a, a sporting event like that, it's something, and it's, it's something that you enjoy. You usually end up losing your voice afterwards because you've been giving your all to cheer on your team. And that's the idea here. You are pouring out everything you have in celebration of what God has done for you. 
in this world. In verse 4, we read that this shout of celebration to the king is to break forth, says the psalmist. That is, it is to start abruptly, with great intensity, suddenly. God has won a great victory, and we are to immediately, with joy, respond in celebration. Now, that doesn't mean that Of course, we are to literally necessarily lose our voices in worship. We are Presbyterians after all. We don't do that. You can laugh. But for some, worship, this this, this shout of joy may be a silent shout of joy. For others, it may be very vocal. But the point is, it's to be a heart that breaks forth like a dam giving away to a flood in joyous praise to God. It's a posture of our hearts towards the Lord. The idea is expressed further in the poetry of this psalm that we are to give God our all as we celebrate His his great victory for us by telling us of all these instruments with which we should use to praise the Lord. And again, this is poetic. Uh, Lyres, they were, of course, harp-like instruments. They were often associated with joy and gladness and celebration. They, They point then to hearts that are gladdened by the goodness of God's grace. When you heard a lyre, it was to make you happy. We think of David playing his harp, his lyre, before King Saul to gladden his heart when he was in a dark mood. And so it is sort of like that familiar chord of a symphony that you like to listen to or a famous guitar riff. It stirs your heart. You you put your attention into it. It draws you in. You can't help but listen. If you know the song, you might start singing along. Nobody else is around you, in my case. Trumpets and horns were used to announce some great occasion, like the ascension of a new king to a throne or the the return of a general from a battle that he had won. So again, the emphasis here is to use everything, use all means, pour out your heart and soul and strength to the Lord and praise Him as our God and King because He has won a victory for us as His people. And so we celebrate the present reign of God our King over all the earth because He has overcome the curse for us. And one day, that final victory will be complete. While it is a present reality, we celebrate His present reign. We are called to do something else in this psalm. We are called to celebrate His promised final victory. And we get a picture of that in the final verses 7-9 through of this psalm. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So the idea here is the King will come again. He will bring about a future, final, ultimate victory. 
You know, when the Allies landed on the beaches of Normandy, it was a great victory over Nazi Germany. In fact, it was the beginning of the end. But there was still fighting that had to take place. They still had to push through France and into Berlin before that final victory was achieved. And even then, the war did not end, for the war in the Pacific went on for many months after until there was ultimate victory. And it's similar to the victory we enjoy as God's people. The victory has already been won. Christ is already reigning. Satan's head has already been crushed at the cross. Death has surrendered the keys of the grave to Jesus through his resurrection. The world is already under the rule of King Jesus through his ascension. Sin has already been pardoned by Christ's sacrifice. But the earth is still groaning for that final victory, that final end, that moment when the king returns and redemption is complete. For he is coming, as the psalmist writes, to judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And righteousness here has to do with putting to right all that has been wronged by sin. And equity is the, the smoothing out of that which was disrupted and made rough by the corruption of human sin and the curse that has fallen upon this world. As, as Isaiah prophesied, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That is what this earth is groaning for, longing for the justice of God ruling in the hearts of men. Because when that happens, there truly will be peace on earth. And so the psalmist calls to the seas to, to roar an anticipation of God's coming again to the earth. The rivers are told to clap their hands, to, to bubble joyfully, singing along with the hills, the praises of the Creator who will walk among them. And we, God's people, who have been given this promised victory by faith in the promises of the Gospel, we do celebrate with all the earth that final coming of the King. You see, this psalm, Psalm 98, while it is a victory song, a new song that we sing, it's only a rehearsal. All the psalms we sing now celebrating God's victory, His salvation, His present reign, they're merely a rehearsal of that never-ending song of joy we will sing on that great day when our King comes again. For on that day, we will sing a new song. And that is a beautiful thing because here's what it means for us right here, right now. It means you can have joy now, even among the thorns of the curse that still are there, that you still feel, because sorrow and sin are already defeated. They are already ending. And one day they will disappear forever. As the lyrics of 
Joy to the world so beautifully declare, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And so you, Christian, you, brother and sister, perhaps you've had a difficult year this past year. I mean, there are so many things that remind us of the curse that is upon this world from our own sinfulness to what we feel and see and experience in this life. But know this, the power of that curse is already defeated. God has won the victory for you if you are in Christ Jesus. And so the call of this song to you is to sing to sing a new song, to celebrate God's present reign over all the world, and to celebrate His final coming victory when all our sins and sorrows will be forever ceased. And so let us then, as God's people, be those instruments that reflect back to Him the praise that He deserves. For God, our warrior King, has given us the victory. Let us then sing to Him a new song. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for this truth that you have won a great victory for us. And we see that in the person of Jesus Christ. And we know that even now as we continue through the toil of this life. And so we long, Father, we long for that day when this victory will be complete. Fill our hearts then with a new song. May it be renewed every time we gather as your people to worship and praise you, reminding us that we are already walking in the victory that is ours through the cross of Christ. And we look forward to the day when righteousness will reign from every corner of this world. We pray for that day. We pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, so that we might know the true peace across this entire earth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.